0: aloha world welcome back to her story don't panic same opening new episode i am your lovely host mary jane and since that one time i was called meredith by a barista i have now racked up the names jay clary aj and janet it's been a week guys this show haunts me daily I cannot do a single episode on this podcast without getting a death count, incest, or questioning my sanity. Luckily, the queens we are going to talk about today make up for it. Last week, we talked about traveler, filmmaker, and adventurer Aloha Wanderwell, and it got me thinking. Isn't it time we talk about some of Hawaii's most important female figures? Today, we are doing a deep, deep dive into the kingdom of Hawai'i, which no longer exists today, and the women who fought for its preservation and progression. Although the kingdom of Hawai'i was eventually and illegally annexed by the United States, there is still so much we can learn from the women who built up this nation. So buckle up for politics, musicians, and the true story of how Dole Pineapple is loosely connected to the overthrow of a dynasty. I just need to preface this by um, saying I may mispronounce names, and I really apologize for that. It's not intentional. I'm just stupid. But hey, if I can say Tchaikovsky, I can try my best today. All right, so let's get some context on the Hawaiian Islands. For those of you who paid attention in Moana, you already know about wayfinding. This celestial seafaring navigation was how Polynesian voyagers discovered the isolated island chains in the Pacific about a thousand years ago. Immigrants from neighboring islands set up settlements and established kingdoms along the six major islands. A shared culture though didn't really emerge until the 13th century when priests established the kapu system of religion and government. The kingdom of Hawaii was established through the forged alliance and long-term conquest of Kamehameha the Great in 1795 establishing a 100-year dynasty that ruled over the island chains. Queen Kahumanu was the noble daughter of an island chief living in Hana when she was betrothed to Kamehameha. She was supposedly born sometime in 1768. Her mother was related to the king of Maui, and her father sat on Kamehameha's council. She was sent to live with her future husband at age 10, and eventually became one of his wives. Yes, another huge age gap. Thank you, patriarchy. And by 18, she was his favorite of 20 wives. He heavily relied on her advice and made her the regent to his son and heir. When her father died, Ka'umanu took his place on the king's council, becoming the first and only woman to do so. Ka'umanu encouraged Kamehameha's conquest of the islands to create a united Hawaii. But perhaps her greatest role to play was her secret hope in abolishing the patriarchal taboos that governed Hawaiian culture. The taboos had a long religious history and influenced how men and women interacted. When Kamehameha the Great died in 1819 after a 25-year reign, he appointed Kaumanu as co-ruler to his son, Liholiho. Liholiho was very surprised at this, and I don't really blame him, considering he was supposedly 22 when he became king. That's like, that's kind of a a decent time. Most kings become kings at like 12, so not bad. Ka'umanu, though, was the real ruler of Hawaii, and she was not shy about letting people know. Kamehameha's council agreed to her co-ruling and essentially created the role of prime minister for her. Queen Ka'umanu wanted to challenge the 600-year taboos that kept women subservient to men. The kapu system was especially strict about food. Sacred foods like pork, coconuts, and bananas were off-limits, and no women could even touch or prepare these materials, which were only served to men. Women had to even leave the home when their husbands were eating and could not dine with them. The punishment for breaking these social rules could be severe. Supposedly, these taboos were created from a legend about the sky god Wakea. Who would have his wife eat separately so he could pursue their daughter? Anyone who learned mythology via Percy Jackson knows that holy incest is not uncommon, but man, is it uncomfortable? Ka'u'amanu and Liholiho's mother convinced Liholiho, now King Kamameha II, to share a meal with them publicly, breaking the taboo and leading to the end of women's separation during meals and it actually really improved women's standing in Hawaiian society. This supposedly also ushered in the tradition of luau's. Fun fact guys, these feasts were originally called ahuaina. Luau is the name of a popular dish served at the feast. These traditional gatherings could be huge and they still do feature hula dancers and fire knife wielders as entertainment. She did carry some serious street cred on the island though. One story I have heard of Ka'umanu is that when a group of men came together to plot her assassination, she sent them a message in the middle of their meeting. She said she knew what they were doing and she was alone in her house and unarmed, and if they had the guts, they should just walk over and finish the job now. They backed down. Queen Ka'umanu secured the admiration of the common people and the alliances of many other island leaders through politically savvy moves and sheer confidence. She restricted the amount of fish chiefs could collect as taxes from poor citizens and solidified her rule by remarrying to the king of Kaui, Kaumulari. She also took his son as her lover. Kind of wild, but uh, cool. Her greatest legacy, though, is probably her relationship to Christianity. Protestant ministers were all over the island trying to convert the Hawaiians in what they probably thought was a kingdom riddled with sin. One prominent female chief, Kaipolani, made it into their reports when she was caught sun tanning on the beach with her two husbands, intoxicated and unclothed. Sounds wonderful. These missionaries hated the gambling, lounging, and nudity of the Hawaiian culture. Though Ka'u at first hated the Protestant missionaries, eventually she accepted and even embraced their presence. After the taboos were abolished, Hawaii was essentially an atheist nation. Christianity was an attempt to reignite the spirituality on the islands. She created Hawaii's first set of codified laws inspired by the Ten Commandments, and was an advocate for literacy for the common people in the native Hawaiian language so her people could study the Bible and learn in schools. Hawaii actually had one of the highest literacy rates of any country in the world. She did, however, order many religious idols and artifacts be destroyed, and these artifacts and a big chunk of the history they carried were lost forever. One Christian chief, Kapulani, the same legend who drank and tanned on the beach, saved the bones of the nobility's ancestors and preserved them, where they still survive to this day. Kaumanu even banned hula, though some kings ignored the ban and the practice was eventually celebrated openly again. Because of her newly solidified relation with Christianity, Queen Kaumanu allowed more ministers to enter Hawaii, allowing for a foothold for Western influences and disease that would drastically affect Hawaiian history. But we'll get to that later. When Kamehameha II died and was succeeded by Kamehameha III, disease had wiped out much of the native Hawaiian population. Queen Kaumanu was still virtually in charge of the entire country and helped oversee many attempts at land division and ownership among the crown and common people. Queen Kaumanu won favor with the European and American merchants and the Hawaiian chiefs when she allowed for sandalwood to be used in trade, helping the chiefs escape debt to the traders. She also expanded Hawaii's economy by allowing American businessmen free trade across Hawaiian ports. When she died in 1832, she insisted on a quiet Christian burial instead of the traditional wailing and mourning. Her demands were met, but some say after she was buried, her remains were dug up and sent out to sea, like in the old days. Most agree, she still rests with most of the Hawaiian royalty at the royal mausoleum. When Alexander Lolani Liholiho succeeded his uncle, Kamehameha III, and became King Kamehameha IV, he married Emma Rook, another distant relation to Kamehameha the Great, and a descendant of his favored British advisor. When Kamehameha IV died at only 29, Emma made a bid to rule as Hawaii's independent queen. But with no heirs, she lost the claim to David Kalakaua. And though the dynasty changed hands, Queen Emma remained active in politics. Her aunt, Kaipolani, married David Kalakaua and became queen when he was elected king of Hawaii. They were both of noble birth and much beloved by the hawaiian people kaipolani was in a unique position as she and her husband were very public figures even for royalty and traveled extensively both across hawaii and around the world as queen concert kaipolani took on a diplomatic role while traveling to the united states and europe in 1887 she attended the royal celebrations of queen victoria And on her way, she was hosted at a White House dinner in her honor by President Cleveland. As the first Hawaiian queen to visit the United States, Kaipolani represented Hawaii on the world stage, traveling across the U.S. to visit schools and hospitals, and was beloved by the press. In Hawaii, she established a home for girls and centers for women, as well as advocated for those with leprosy. Her husband even named a national park in her honor. Queen Kaipolani died in 1899, eight years after the death of her husband, in her modest home. A college today bears her name, and Kaipolani is still fondly remembered as a philanthropist and influential activist. When David died without an heir, the throne passed to his sister. Queen Liliuokolani is said to have been the most beloved ruler in Hawaiian history. Her brother began what was known as the Hawaiian Renaissance, a cultural embracing of education, travel, and an expanding of scientific research. Women were equals in this society, and there was an explosion of national pride and traditional revival, including hula. Queen Liliuokalani was determined to continue this. As a girl, she had been educated by missionaries in boarding schools, even amid a measles epidemic that killed 10,000, many of them native Hawaiians, including her three-year-old sister. In 1862, Liliuokalani married at age 24 to a ship captain. John Owen Dominus became an official in the Hawaiian government, and the couple adopted many children together. When her brother died, Liliuokalani became heir, taking over and changing her title from her birth name, Princess Lydia Kamakea. She traveled widely and established many schools, even acting as a regent while her brother was on tour as king. Queen Liliuokalani was also an accomplished composer. She would write over 150 songs in her lifetime. And we'll get to her most famous one soon. Liliuokalani ascended the throne in 1891 amid the bayonet constitution that restricted the power of the Hawaiian people and the monarch. Liliuokalani was an incredibly popular queen, and this was a problem for the American plantation owners. You see, from the time the islands opened to western trade, American businessmen had been harvesting the resources of the islands with the influx of Pacific immigrants as labor. A group of white sugar planters, businessmen, and descendants of missionaries formed the Committee of Safety, a secret organization intent on overthrowing the Queen and ushering Hawaii under U.S. control. Why, God, why did they do this? Well, here's the answer. Money. I bet that really surprised you. The U.S. had revoked the favorable position of Hawaiian sugar growers on the market two months before the queen's reign, sending these wealthy merchants into a panic. They believed for their business to survive, they had to overthrow an entire legally and popularly supported government. That has never happened before. Ladies and gentlemen, listening and whatever else, our lovely tech chair, Andrew, has just saved me from a falling microphone. See? Men can be okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah, white people. They believed for their business to survive, they had to overthrow an entire legally and popularly supported government so their cracker asses could be favored in a foreign market. I'm sorry? I myself am of the cracker variety? I just get really mad when my country illegally invades other countries. Thank God it'll only happen this one time. You can't tell, but I'm looking into an imaginary camera like I'm on the office. When Queen Liliuokalani drafted a new constitution to end the Bayonet Constitution, reinstating the monarch's political power and returning the political rights stolen from the Hawaiian people, two of her ministers betrayed her by telling those favoring annexation. The Committee of Safety met privately and drafted documents for a new provisional government, Planning to overthrow the queen. They even elected Judge Stanford B. Dole as their leader. He is the cousin of the Dole pineapple guy. I wake up every day and think about that. I can't, I can't do it. I literally, I went to a restaurant once. It was like Hawaiian food. I'm pretty sure it was appropriated, but whatever. I was having a good time. And they had like Dole pineapple stuff there. And I just, I think part of me passed away that day. Uh, It's finals. What what part of us hasn't passed away at this point? Anyway, moving forward, I wake up every day and think about that. And two days later, U.S. Marines marched on Iolani Palace. Literally, they marched on a government. There was no declaration of war. There was no notice for occupation. Just, just, it's a mess. It's a hot mess, guys. And the queen had a crucial decision to make and she furiously debates with her ministers. But ultimately, Queen Liliu surrendered to the United States government in 1893, willingly turning over her power until they reinstated her as queen. And in a move that sounds like the end of her story, truly shows, in my opinion, her utter brilliance. She surrenders to the U.S. government, not the provisional government, so she hasn't surrendered her claim as a monarch or her country. Still, she was imprisoned in the palace for 8 months. Quickly into his instatement as president, Grover Cleveland sent a representative to investigate the annexation and current situation in Hawaii. The envoy condemned the US actions and over-aggression of the provisional government, stating the coup was illegal and immoral. The envoy's solution was simple: reinstate Liliuokalani as queen. When Cleveland requested the provisional government disband, they refused and prepared for war. Not willing to use force against Americans, Cleveland made a huge tactical error in putting the matter to Congress. But the Hawaiian people wanted their queen back. The Wilcox Rebellion of 1889 was a failed revolutionary attempt to reinstate her. But when the rebels were defeated, their efforts led to a trial accusing the queen of knowing about the plot and having committed treason. Of the trial, Liliu Colani wrote, The only charge against me, really, was that of being a queen. The object was, evidently, to humiliate me, to make me break down in the presence of a staring crowd. But in this, they were disappointed. Ooh, ice in the veins. This queen was sentenced to five years of hard labor and a heavy fine, but neither was ever carried out. She was, however, imprisoned in a single room of her palace. During all of this, she is trying to secure her kingdom's reestablishment. But Grover Cleveland, who supported an independent Hawai'i, was replaced after four years of her efforts, and he was replaced by William McKinley. The new president swiftly annexed Hawai'i, Queen Liliukolani only abdicated and ended the Kingdom of Hawaii after being threatened that six of her people would be executed if she did not comply. Even without her throne, the queen remained active in her people's welfare. She established the Queen Liliukolani Trust to care for the orphaned and destitute, creating a care center that still exists today. In 1911, she was finally given compensation for the annexation by the Hawaiian Treasury, but never the U.S. government. There's a song that tourists will hear as they board their cruise ships or leave their resorts, called Aloha Oi. It's very popular, and I'm sure you've probably heard it too. This song was actually written by Queen Liu Kolani, and it's probably her most well-known song. It was first written as a love song, but it soon became one of heartbreak. Look up the lyrics if you have a minute. This is the Queen's goodbye to the nation she loved. But there is still one more Hawaiian royal we need to discuss the last heir to the throne of the Kingdom of Hawaii. Princess Victoria Kailani Cleghorn was named for the monarchy's long standing friendship with the British Queen and was the daughter of a princess and a Scotsman. Her parents, by all accounts, didn't get along. Her father was patriarchal and controlling, a fact that his wife, who was a literal princess in a society where men and women were equal, hated. Her mother actually passed away when Kayulani was only 11, and her heartbroken daughter became next in line for the throne, replacing her mother. Still, Kaulani had a beautiful childhood. She grew up on an estate given to her by the descendants of Kamehameha, Living on a lush and oceanside property, complete with peacocks and a white pony, she was actually called the Peacock Princess because of her love of the animals. It was a fairy tale open to a tragic story. Also, fun fun fact, guys, she was good friends with Robert Louis Stevenson, the guy who wrote Treasure Island and Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know what to do. Like, it always blows my mind when, like, historical people knew each other. Like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, like that just, I think about that every day. I think about that and the Dole Pineapple Guy every day. As you can tell, I'm not even remotely focused on my finals. I'm just thinking about the Dole Pineapple Guy. So like many Hawaiian royals, the princess was sent abroad, completing her studies in England. But when the king died and Liliu became queen, one of her first acts was naming Kayolani as heir to the kingdom. The queen insisted her niece stay abroad, worried for her safety in the aftermath of the coup. The princess dazzled British society and was renowned for her beauty, but her heart longed for home. At 17, she sailed out to the U.S., seeking support in regaining her country's independence. She won the hearts of the American press and public, even receiving an invitation to the White House to see Cleveland and his wife. Her visit prompted Cleveland to order the Senate to end the consideration of the annexation of Hawaii, and... Her visit was the thing that established the envoy being sent, reaffirming that Hawai'i needed her queen. But it was not to last. McKinley annexed many island nations as soon as he was elected, including Hawai'i. When Princess Kailani returned home, the kingdom of Hawai'i was no more. The annexation was a day of mourning for the queen and princess, who were gathered with their supporters and friends, listening to traditional music play for 16 minutes before the flag of Hawaii was lowered for the Stars and Stripes. The people were somber, because to them, Liliuokalani would always be their queen. Perhaps Princess Kayolani's greatest accomplishment and her most lasting achievement is her efforts with Liliuokalani to secure a political right for the native Hawaiians. Kayolani invited U.S. envoys to a lavish luau intent on impressing them by inviting the greatest minds in Hawaiian society. Her display of the beauty of her culture and people and her passion was so convincing that the U.S. was forced to confront stereotypes that perpetuated their news that all Hawaiians were uneducated and uncultured. Her efforts made it clear that there was no grounds to deny this highly literate and rich nation the right to vote. Princess kaiulani experienced much loss in her life. Her godmother passed when she was a child, soon followed by her mother, who gave her a chilling prophecy. After seeing a red fish swim up to the shore, her mother told Kayulani she would experience deep loss and never rule the island nation after the symbol of death appeared. It was to be true. Though Princess Kailani continued her charity work and was rumored to have been engaged several times, once to a Japanese prince and another time to a Hawaiian prince, her life ended with her kingdom. When riding her horse, the princess got caught in a storm. She fell sick and never recovered, dying on March 6th in 1899. She was only 23 years old. Though many causes of her death have been speculated, including pneumonia, most accredit her dying to a broken heart. Perhaps her own words capture it best. I must have been born under an unlucky star. As her mother predicted, She never married and never became Queen of Hawaii. On November 23, 1993, Congress passed the Apology Resolution that was signed by Bill Clinton that day, acknowledging and apologizing for the United States' role in the illegal annexation of the Kingdom of Hawaii. So, you're probably sitting there with your box of tissues and deep distrust of dull pineapple, wondering why I would tell you about such amazing queens when I knew the story had a sad ending. That's it. That's the reason. Queen Liliuokalani and Princess Kayulani lost their most beloved kingdom because of shady sugar growers and were belittled and insulted by the foreign press at times because of their skin color. They are part of a larger narrative of the people of Hawaii and the dangers of being a female ruler in a world that targets women, especially non-white leaders. But this is the story of Hawaiian queens, and it is one of perseverance. From Queen Kaumanu's gaining equal rights for women and abolishing patriarchal taboos, to the last queen and princess securing the right to vote for their people under U.S. rule. Hawaii today is a product of the trade winds, home to people of many backgrounds and faiths. But their pride in the history of the islands is something that can never be taken. From the movies, books, articles, schools, buildings— hula dances, stories, and festivals that bear their names, the queens of Hawaii have never left the memory of their people. I am telling you the triumphs and tragedy of Hawaiian queens because their lives and their achievements moved me, a caffeine-addicted Midwestern girl with a passion for stories. And these are the stories of women we should be paying attention to in our everyday lives. As we close this episode, our very last for the semester, I want to tell you how grateful I am to have completed the first half of our journey in the depths of hidden histories together. I will close how we begin. Aloha, happy holidays, get home safe, and God help you in your hour of finals. I will see you in 2022 for another woman who made her story.